Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. But it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you'll have to give us a ride. You can't fill us, though. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. Thoughts were all alone in this empty And we're back. Yes, we are. Yet again. <laughs> Spent a lot of time out here lately. Yeah, I know. It's been, uh, it's been what, like a whole day? Uh, close to 24 hours, yeah. Magic of time travel, though. Right. right. There'll be a week between these. Oh, well, it'll be weeks from now before y'all are listening to this. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Y'all, the whole, like, it's paranormal listenership out there. Yeah. You guys. Uh, because I'm going on a trip. Where are you going? I will be leaving tomorrow on October the 10th, or I've already left, and maybe already on my way back. Yeah. By the time this episode drops, but I'll be going up to uh, New York and Pennsylvania and Virginia. Gonna be taking myself a little sojourn. Going to be visiting some people in the podcast world. Hopefully getting some sweet interviews. Yeah, yep, yep. Having you some see, good conversations. Yeah, uh, there's probably going to be a show that is going to be consist of my interviews from on the road because I bought this nice, handy little recorder, the Zoom H6, which is pretty awesome, by the way. So I'm going to be doing some interviews with some people. Um, I won't say who yet. Right, we don't want to but, build uh, up too much hope in case it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In case it doesn't happen, right? There's always there could always be some form of chaos involved, I suppose. But 
hopefully you will be hearing that on the, on the next episode. And Rob, how's life? Uh, it's good. You know, I mean, I try to look at the positives. I complain a lot and <laughs> I'm tired and beat down by the world and stuff, but you know what? I'm, I'm here. It's a beautiful world all in all. So yeah. 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 You got your 80s cover band. Yeah. I mean, that's happening. You know, I might have learned the wrong song that I'm supposed to sing next week, but I'll learn the right one. Oh, yeah. It was like two songs that start with the same same word, right? Oh, yeah. And I I put a lot of time into that. Like, oh, man. It was going to be so good. I was like singing like over and over, singing on the way to work and back in the car. Like, I had it down. So you learned Don't You Forget About Me. Right. Which has the hey, 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 hey's in it, you know? Right, right. But I was supposed to be learning Don't Dream It's Over, which also goes, <laughs> hey now, hey now. <laughs> so I like, they're linked in more than one way in my head. <laughs> yeah. Which you didn't know this till a week the ago. The last practice. <laughs> yeah. Two practices ago, but. Oh, okay. We have a third one coming up before the gig. I'll have it down. Okay. Yeah, anybody in Nashville needs to check out Rob's cover band, Cobra Kai. The the um, best 80s party band that's out there. Yes. Well, they had a couple of gigs, but, you know, it is what it is. Although it's kind of different from what you did before. Yeah, and, you know, we have a different keyboardist every time we play, but whatever. <laughs> it's kind of like Spinal Tap and Drummers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a different keyboardist each time. Uh, guys, tonight we're going to have on a few different people. This is going to be a roundtable episode, and it's episode 185. So I thought, you know, why not have a nice 15 away from 200, which is kind of odd to think about. Yeah. One hundred um, does not seem that long ago. No, one hundred does not seem that long ago. But it is almost, almost two it's years. almost been two years since <laughs> wow. our one hundredth episode. So we have a brain trust tonight. We've got Joshua Cutchin, Red Pill Junkie, Greg Bishop, and Adam Go Rightly, last but not least. So I'm looking forward to this one. Now the topic is gonna be high strangeness. Now I don't know. I think it's just going to be high strangeness as having just having four of them online together. Oh, for sure. So we may veer off into other topics and other weird stuff. But I did tell them, you give me like two, like maybe two each of your like strangest cases. And, okay, so uh, we'll we're, go from there. Gotcha. We're gonna get some stories out of it. And- yeah, we're gonna get some story. Hopefully, get some stories out of it. And I've got one that I want to share to you that I found today, actually, that I thought was pretty interesting. With that group, we're going to get like the strangest of the strange tonight. Yeah, we will. We will. I want to talk to, I also want to get a little bit of discussion with Red Pill and with Josh about Fatima, the miracles of Fatima, which kind of lends itself to the, also to the UFO phenomenon as well and some of the strange stuff with that. Um, so we'll, which is actually, it's like the hundredth anniversary of that this year. Really? So there's, we haven't really talked about that. There's a Patreon episode. We plug our Patreon that we have with, uh, the very first Patreon we did with Josh, where we did, um, we talked about Marian apparitions. Right. So that was included in there. But if you're not a Patreon, 
you haven't heard that. So, and we've been pretty bad about getting stuff up on the Patreon feed. It's been a crazy summer. We we apologize. We're gonna get some yeah. new stuff out. Yeah, I, I've got soon. something in mind on my trip that I'm gonna try to to record. Um, if I get anything like extra, you know, and hopefully I will be at a certain event um, that a certain person, one of our older guests, is putting on. So, guys. I think we'll just stop right there because we're going to have plenty. We'll have plenty to talk about with these four gentlemen, and we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. Welcome back to Conspiranormal, guys. And like I said before, we have a virtual brain trust here with us. And it's episode 185, so I thought it would be good to have like a round table about high strangeness cases. And the four gentlemen that we have, I think, are some of the best in this field uh, to talk about this. We have Joshua Cutchin. Greetings. We have Red Pill Junkie. Good evening. Greg Bishop. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> and last but definitely not least, Adam Go Rightly. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> and you know what? Adam uh, predates all of you guys on this show. He, f- he first came on like episode 13. So. That's how, how way back in the old days. Uh, way back in the old days. Way back in the days when I used the omnidirectional microphone that had a lot of hiss on it, and it sounded awful. <laughs> when dinosaurs ruled the earth. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I wanted to start out uh, with Red Pill and with Josh because this is this year is the 100th anniversary of the events at Fatima. And uh, the other two, uh, Greg and Adam, if you guys have any insight on this as well or uh, about it. But I just wanted to talk to you you two about this for a little bit, about, you know, the events at Fatima. Just a brief maybe synopsis of what happened there and some of your viewpoints on it. Well, okay. so uh, <laughs> this is this is right in Miguel's wheelhouse. So I'm going to be the color commentary for this. Yeah, well, I'm I'm no I'm no expert on Fatima by any stretch of the imagination. I just happened to read uh, the book Heavenly Lights by Joaquin Fernandez and Fina da Armada. They are two uh, Portuguese researchers who, in my opinion, wrote. Uh, two of the most uh, definitive books about the topic. The first one has a, f- a foreword by Dr. Jacques Vallée. I forgot to mention that to him when uh, I got a chance to chat with him recently. And, and they did a, a, like a sequel about the book in which they explored uh, some of the other less uh, popular 
or less known sightings that happened prior to the big, uh, you know, official apparitions, right? The, the beach, the big Marian enchilada that happened in, 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 this, <laughs> in, in May, May 13th, 1917, and concluded, like you said, uh, on October the 13th. Okay, so we're re- so we're real close then to the end of it. I mean, to yeah. when it when it ended. Okay. Yeah, and, and uh, well, it's it's kind of like the typical, and at at the same time, very tricksterish uh, sort of circumstances. If you think about it, you know, I mean, uh, three little shepherds, you know, two girls and a, and a boy, they are cousins, and and, and they are, you know. Uh, Doing what poor shepherds do, you know, they they playing, they're attending to 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 their chores, and they see something. They saw, you know, like a, some a sort of luminous being that had been like perched or appeared on top of a of, of a tree. I don't know if it was an oak tree uh, or, or something to that effect, which will be even, you know, giving it more of a, a of a fairy. Connotation, and I'm sure Josh can explore that even further. But the idea is that they they observe this weird entity that if you if you read the original account, it didn't look nothing like the typical sanitized version uh, publicized by the church. It was a small, let's say, uh, four between three and four feet tall. It was bold. And it had a, a, a hmm. weird uh, attire, you know, kind of like a quilted tunic or cape. And the, the entity told them that, you know, it was a, I think that they it never said, or at least it didn't say at the beginning that it was, you know, like Queen Mary. But it said that it came from heaven. Right. And that's a very typical thing with Marian apparitions in general is very rarely do they ever say, you know, Hi there, I'm Mary, Mother of Jesus. You know, they always say I'm the Lady of the, the Lady of the Rosary, or the Lady of this, or the right. Lady of that, and it's it's been inferred by the people that uh, that that there's this Christian connotation. And sort of getting back to what Miguel's talking about, hmm. there's a preponderance of <laughs> go your turn. <laughs> no, no, I mean, the, the, if the, the, I'm I'm like pulling a co-creation thing. Hey, it's your turn. What am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and there's there's a preponderance of, of it, it could be it could be a big enchilada. You never know the Marian enchilada. <laughs> oh man, now I want to open a burrito joint and have one. <laughs> the Marian enchilada. Um, oh, that could even be either be a, a wonderful or a terrible thing. You know, you could have a, a oh, lot you'd be of closed in five Catholic years. Mexicans saying, "Hey, how dare you!" <laughs> <laughs> white people saying how dare you yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. the Catholic it, was just laugh at you there is a uh, there is a tendency for Marian apparitions to also appear um, around springs of water as well the exactly. to in a lot of these different uh, mm-hmm. cases so yeah there are there are these sort of like sylph-esque um, sort of fairy folk uh, uh, mouthfeel to a lot of these a lot of these apparitions <laughs> <laughs> I just like when Josh uses the term mouthfeel. <laughs> the mouthfeel of the Mary enchilada is. 
it's a, it's a great term to use. Like you know, it's like well, it's kind of like that. I mean, it's kind of got a emotional psychic component, not something you can put on a you know put in a list or on a you know or quantify anyway. But mouthfeel is perfect. Sounds kind of dirty to me. <laughs> That's why I like it. J- just slightly, <laughs> you get a mouth. Hey, uh, Mouthfeel hey, hey. of the Marian enchilada. Very mouthfeel. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I wanted to ask Red Pill. He was given a description of. I've heard different descriptions and stuff. So this little, uh, whatever they were looking at, it was floating up. It was up in the sky. How big was this guy? Well, like I said, it was between three and four uh, feet tall. You know, so let's say one one point one meter tall. And I don't know if it's you could say that it was. Uh, Floating. What I've heard is that uh, uh, there was kind of like a, a cloud that appeared on the sky, and I think it was it was weird because the, the sky was very clear, you know. So it was kind of like I've the heard, only. I've, I've heard different versions where it was like lights bobbing around. No, well, what what, what these guys, you know, the, the the researchers I spoke of, Fernandez and Armad, what they say is that, like that from this cloud. There was this cone of light, you know, yeah. that kind of like reached the top of this tree. And from the cone of light, there was this, you know, either an apparition or maybe it was even some kind of like projection, right? You know, it kind of like almost feels like it was some kind of a, a projection coming out of, uh, of, but from somewhere. And after the the entity disappeared or the cone you know was you know like retracted uh, there was actually some kind of like impression left by the the energy of the cone beam that was left on 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 the uh, foliage of the tree uh, you know that almost to the to the eyes of the the, the kids it looked like a like a crown but hmm. probably maybe it was you know just the result of of, of this you know uh, uh, conical uh, beam of energy maybe having some kind of reaction to the you know uh, photosynthesis of the of the or the or the level of uh, what is the name of this um, uh, green chemical chlorophyll exactly the level of chlorophyll of the leaves that it touched. But, I have uh, I have never heard this part of it. Mm-hmm. This is brand new well, to me. I, maybe maybe I was getting ahead of myself or getting ahead of you. So they had maybe. those uh, the three three shepherd kids had that vision. Afterwards is when masses of people showed up and saw the lights in the sky. Is that how the story goes? Yeah. Well, the the big you know the big uh, uh, crowning. Uh, moment was in October, right? But before that, so you have May, Mayo, Junio, Julio, Agosto, September. You have six months or five months of act- or, or, or activity prior to that. And what I, what what you read is that the, the the people started to gather very slowly, very gradually. You know, from you know a few uh, curious. Onlookers at first, who they managed to see, yeah, weird lights or something, and and this is also interesting. Uh, when Lucia claimed that she was 
listening to the voice of the of the Virgin or the Lady of Heaven, uh, nobody else could actually listen to that. But a few witnesses claimed that they could listen something akin to insect buzzing. Weird. And and this is something that Fernandez and Armada uh, investigated at length. And what they proposed is that. I guess because they were kind of like uh, maybe from a not some bolshy aspects of, or maybe what they were trying to see is desmitify the the the, the religious connotations of of the of the sightings and wanted to try to portray it as a UFO event. So anyway, sure. the idea is they they, they explained that that uh, buzzing could be the result of some kind of micro microwave emission that was you know uh, directed to perhaps to the to the to the brain or or, or, or the skull of, of just one of the of the uh, seers Lucia, while the rest of the people the the beam was not uh, directed to them. So what they hear was some kind of like residual buzzing. And it's interesting because if you think about it, there's a whole lot of uh, high strangeness case in which that kind of uh, buzzing. Is reported right. Yeah, that was going to yeah. ask. That was going to be my next question: whether or not there was like, because we're talking about high strangers primarily tonight. Whether there's any, any of that kind of stuff uh, associated with this case, and that is mm-hmm. that is very bizarre. Yeah, I mean the the buzzing thing you'll you'll find in psychedelic experiences. You'll find it in inferior accounts, and you'll find it in like countless abduction accounts too. Um, right. Yeah. It's, it's 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 a it's a real it and the the thing i find amusing is they try to immediately jump to it's microwaves or whatever i mean it's uh it's <laughs> that so they need something to hold on to to give them a reason for what's going on instead of trying I, i've got this horrible conundrum now it's like how do you not place some sort of scenario on something yet still remain open to it uh well i guess you're more open to it but not categorize something yet still be able to record it. You know what I mean? That that's a tough one because that it, you see all these researchers for the entire history of paranormal and all that they have a model they shove it into, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, and there it's it never covers all the bases. I think that the, the reason why they chose to go or explore that avenue, Greg, is because they simply uh, reported that similar experiments have already been conducted by the U.S. government. So it's a way to say, look, uh, this could be an explanation because we, with our present technology, are starting to reproduce it. Yeah, they just have to find something that's akin to what they they were talking about. You know, where the hell were microwaves coming from in 1904? Right. Well, it's the idea, well, we're, that we're dealing with a, a superior technology, which was uh, mistaken by, right. you know, to, to be of a, of a supernatural well, agency. But obviously, okay, if it was mistaken as such, it's because it was uh, deliberate. You know, I mean, the, the, there there's definitely was some kind of like religious uh, manipulation from the part of, of the phenomenon. They chose to manifest itself uh, in a country that, was, although it was Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, 
their current government at the time was a socialist right. and it was it was even very very anti-religion you know as as it as always is so uh is is something that Valet touched upon in our recent discussion how nobody really wanted this to happen the church wasn't happy about it because <laughs> they they i i guess at, at first they felt they didn't have any control over it the the, the church really doesn't uh, it doesn't really get happy when a, a bunch of peasants say, hey, <laughs> hey, hey we, we, we saw an angel or we saw the virgin. It's because, you know... <laughs> we bypassed to, you assholes. Exactly. <laughs> they, they need to be on top of it. They need to be in control of the narrative, which they mm-hmm. did, obviously, eventually. And, and the government wasn't happy about it because they didn't have to deal with some kind of like resurgence of fanaticism. In, by uh, in that region of, of Portugal, so right. there's a, a moment in which the mayor of the town uh, kidnaps the kids in, a, <laughs> in an attempt to to stop it. But you know the the the, the people still went to Coa the area and they reported something to happen. You know, like like Adam said, you know, some kind of like light or something that appeared, stayed there for a few moments and then it disappeared. Like saying, oh, well, you know, our, uh, the transmission cannot <laughs> cannot be completed. Yeah. And you had the miracle of the sun as well, which is more of a UFO type phenomenon too. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting for me, well, in, in many aspects, one of the aspects is that the church collected the the testimony of of many of the witnesses of that event, right? And the, it, those records are still held by the church in the I don't know, I guess in the annals of of, of, of the the basilica that they built yeah. later there in Fatima. And what's interesting is that you analyze it and. People did not report the same thing. People claimed to s- that they saw something, but they didn't so- see the exact same things. Some people reported seeing some kind of like a, a silvery disc that appeared from you know behind uh, uh, a cloud, a cloud that had cloaked or had covered the the original or you know or the genuine sun so 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 this fake sun took its place and this silver disc that was kind of like moving in a in a I, I don't I don't remember if it was a clockwise or counterclockwise uh, rotation started to move, make all these kind of like weird movements very much like the type of uh, falling leaf movement that is also reported in other uh, UFO sightings. Other people saw other things, that this, it wasn't silvery, but it was a blue. Others said that it no, that it changed the colors from blue to green to red or something. So you have this kind of like uh, divergence of opinions, which what in my mind gives, gives it even more credence. Yeah. You know, because uh, people who are uh, experienced with interviewing witnesses, they know if if everybody gives this exactly the same account, that means that they you know uh, were in in cahoots or in collusion, and they you know uh, 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 try try to remember the same story. This is also thirty years before the quote unquote modern UFO age, so there's no contamination exactly. in that respect. 
And I don't think I think I don't think there's a if, if you perceive it as a ufological event, I don't think there's anything that ever has even come close um, to being as many witnesses. I mean, maybe maybe Phoenix Lights, but the estimates that you read about this, you know, claim that it was between thirty thousand and a hundred thousand people that saw it, as far away as the Vatican. Um, so it, it the 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 scope of this cannot be over over overemphasized. Right, you know, the people who were there at Covada area, it had rained uh, profusely prior to to the events, so everybody was kind of like drenched, completely, you know, wet, their, mm-hmm. all their clothes, and after it happened, everybody discovered that all their clothes had been dried. So there was a, know, physic- so a physical effect. Definitely, yeah. a physical effect uh, in the clothes of the people who were present there. And this idea, you know, it was something that I wanted to explore with Valet, the idea that, okay, so maybe, you know, does this mean that the phenomenon kind of like needs this accumulation of, of energy or of participants who are in expectancy of seeing something? Does, it, does the phenomenon feeds off this energy in order to amplify its uh, its manifestation on our reality, and I guess uh, I didn't convince him, but he pointed out how. Remember when I mentioned the the the, the sightings that had happened prior to the official sightings? So the kids were uh, staying in, in a cave because it, it, it was raining. This, this happened two, two years prior to the official sightings, right? So we're talking 1915. So they saw this luminous being that introduced to them as the angel of peace. And this being asked them to perform a series of, uh, you know, uh, long prayers and recitals. And, and the, the kids claimed that afterwards they were, you know, exhausted, almost as if they were drained of energy. So when I read that, oh. it, it's almost like say, okay, so does it mean that you know the phenomena appeared before to the to the children, and they started to accumulate energy from them, and then you know after they had get, managed to gather enough uh, witnesses, the phenomenon starts to build up, build up, build up, build up until it has you know this final you know crisis or this final you know explosion of of uh, you know lights and colors and the, and, the, and the disc that, you know, terrified the, the witnesses. Some of the people who were there were actually atheists had, that had gone there, as many skeptics, you know, to, to, to make fun, to, 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 to ridiculize the, the superstitious peasants. Right. But when they saw this, these guys, you know, they literally went on their knees and started to, you know, confess all of their sins because they <laughs> truly believed that the end of the world was you know, about to happen. Is is there any validity to the prophecies? And, and just to make a Ooh. point about um, about the church like, kind of taking over, like Lucia, like they like pretty much sequestered her in a nunnery for most of her life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, uh, I found this out. Uh, I guess maybe a little bit under a year ago, that um, she is associated with another series of, of uh, revelations while she was in the nunnery, the Pontevedra apparitions uh, that was. It's a little bit much to get into, but um, 
Okay. Uh, basically, the Virgin, the Virgin Mary came appeared to Lucia and told, and was starting to set parameters for the first uh, five first Saturdays devotion. It's a very sort of dogmatic uh, uh, message that she relayed. It wasn't quite as you know as fantastic or revelatory as as the miracle of the sun. Yeah. Um, but she was sort of. I think it's interesting that she sort of had the, a, a similar experience later in life. I mean, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Like it kept going with her. Almost like she was a conduit because the other kids died fairly young, as I understand yep. it. Yeah. Almost, yeah, like a year later. Ah, really? I never heard that. Yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, you know? the, very, the, very early. Yeah, yeah, physiological uh, effects of people. Well, the, I, I was reading some I of these know, high strangeness things, and that when people have these things, their their lives are changed physically and 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 mentally, and sometimes they break down both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Well, and also if you look well, at you know, sorry, go ahead. It's nineteen seventeen, right? I mean, that sort of thing happened. It was uh, nowadays we have this impression that what is it that people say that is that it's nothing more unnatural than a parent having to bury their children or their child, and that's actually not true. <laughs> it was the norm in the world yeah. before the, the the rise of penicillin. And antibiotics. Yeah. So I think what happened with these children is the die of natural causes. There was some kind of epidemic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I think it was the the the, 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 the yellow in, fever. The influenza uh, struck yeah. the next year. Yeah, and mm. so did World War One. So yeah. with, you know, <laughs> you've got this Mothman effect. I'm I'm really worried about the Chicago Mothman thing. What the hell is going to happen? I know. I know. Also, back to the children dying early. I mean, if you look at sort of uh, the 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 role of theophany throughout world religions, the act of seeing the divine. I mean, it's not something that you necessarily always walk away from to begin with. Yeah. 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 True. Very good point. Very good point. Go rightly. You have any insight on this? Anything to add to that? I think those, I think those children were witches. (laughs) 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 I I think the obvious, the obvious explanation is that it was Project Bluebeam sent from the future through a Stargate, like you'll hear about on uh, Project Camelot. Yes, yes. Uh, Basiago was probably involved. Hey, he to was, close the loop on this, there's the, those prophecies. Isn't yeah. uh, the third prophecy uh, still sealed or something at the Vatican? Is that the... Uh, yeah, supposedly. No, officially it has already been released. Yeah, it was released uh, uh, officially uh, at, at the behest of, of Pope uh, John Francis II. Well, the first one was a vision of hell. The second one was the end of World War One and the beginning of World War Two, if memory serves. And then the third one was again, like he's, it's, it, it, the official. The official line, I think, was about. Predicting the 1981 assassination attempt on John Paul II, right? Right. Yeah, that was right. the first right. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but, he became convinced that the Virgin uh, Mary had actually saved uh, his life, and you know, like diverted the bullet that was fired by this uh, fanatic Aliaga, uh, fanatic Mehmet Aliaga. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting, you know. So these guys from. Uh, is from Turkey, right? It, it, it was uh, part of this, uh, uh, like, 
secret society or or this uh, band of uh, of assassins, and everybody thinks that you know they were actually being commanded by either the KGB or the CIA. You know, the KGB maybe because uh, John, John Paul II was uh, Polish, and they didn't really like how he had such influence in the countries that they were in control of. You know, right. in, in the Iron Curtain, and people said, "Well, you know, the CIA also had an interest of of of, of taking him out, it, precisely because of that. Maybe because they wanted to see if him by dying could alert, exert some kind of like change or revolution in those uh, uh, Soviet-controlled nations like Poland." But here's the interesting thing: I, I remember reading how. Um, Aliakka was also this uh, millenarist. He was all convinced that uh, he was part of a series of, 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 of events that will create a chain reaction that will bring about the end of the world. And he was also, mm. since he's Muslim, he had the belief that the uh, the entity that had appeared before the, the, the children was not the Virgin Mary, but was Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet Muhammad. Aha. Uh-huh. Interesting. So, you see, it's, it's a very strange and, and tangled web of things yeah. that are just complex. Maybe that's the reason why I, I, I'm fascinated by it. But, but the idea is that, that some people believe that the third secret has not actually been revealed. Or if it's been revealed, it's not interpret, being interpreted correctly by the church. Yeah. Because what they believe is that the third secret is about the end of the, the Vatican. You know, the, inf- the the power of the Vatican and the, the the Catholic Church as we currently know it. Now that's what Malachi Martin said. Okay. Yeah, you add the whole Malachi Martin aspect into it as well. And I think mm-hmm. that he said like there was yeah the end of the Vatican, and I've also heard that it had to do with Russia. Uh, Russia needed to turn to God, which is which has always confused me because, you know, at least at that point it was an Eastern Orthodox country, not a Catholic one. So that's always yeah confused me a little bit. They had this idea that that the, the Virgin uh, wanted the the Russia to be consecrated. To her blessed heart, yeah, you know, supposedly, and supposedly that ceremony was performed by uh, Pope John Paul II. And if you want to see it that way, no sooner, uh, soon after that, the you know the, the Soviet Union began to collapse. So you know, if you if you want to see it that way, uh, like the consecration of uh, of Russia. To, to the Virgin Mary was what you know brought about the end of the Cold War. I I'm not sure if I want to to go that way, but it's but sure. he certainly believed that mm-hmm. that was the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Well, let's turn on to uh, let's turn over to high strangeness. Now I'm I'm going to read a case. Hopefully, none of you picked it, but uh, I found this today, and uh, this actually happened in Josh's neck of the woods in Georgia. Nice. <laughs> Not one of mine. <laughs> Pelham, Pelham, Georgia, August 6, 1977. All right. Jeez. 
Tom Dawson, 63 and retired, was walking with his two dogs from his trailer home to a nearby farm when a circular-shaped spaceship with a dome and portholes 40 to 50 feet in diameter and 12 to 14 feet high hovered several feet off the ground in a field in front of him. He immediately noticed that he was unable to move a muscle as well as his dogs and the cattle in the field seemed likewise to be immobilized. A hatch in the object opened. A ramp was extended and seven strange-looking humanoids five foot tall emerged, five men and two women. The first stepped down cautiously as if to test the solidity of the ground. Then the rest followed, with two taking up sentry positions at the hatch. They were all hairless with skin as white as a flour sack. Their noses were sharp and turned up. Their ears were pointed and they had no necks. One of the men and one of the women were completely nude. The clothing of the rest, male and female alike, were very beautiful with silk-like shoes with pointed, turned-up toes. The humanoids cautiously approached Dawson and gave him a kind of physical examination, placing on his head a skull cap with cords connecting it to a hoop bearing dials. They dropped his trousers and lifted his shirt for the examination, passing the hoop over his body. While the examination was in progress, a loud voice came from the object shouting three times, I am Jimmy Hoffa. A fourth repetition was cut (laughs) off and the voice was not heard again. After completing the examination, all returned to the craft except two men who walked about 10 feet away and went into a conference. They had very shrill voices. And although Dawson was unable to comprehend what it was they said, He thought he heard the word Jupiter. He had the impression they were debating whether or not to take him on board. At any rate, they did not, and the leader passed his palm across his chest as though to signal goodbye. They re-entered the ship, closed the hatch, and took off. He saw the object rise to 75 feet, then, in a wink, it was out of sight. Dawson was then freed of his paralysis. He then ran directly to the next-door neighbor, but was so excited, he could say nothing more than spaceship. He was taken to a hospital and treated for hysteria. (laughs) Spaceship! Spaceship! (laughs) Spaceship! (laughs) Let's just say that for the rest of the whole show. Everybody has to just say spaceship. (laughs) And the message apparently was, I am Jimmy Hoffa. That's, yeah, that's a weird twist there. That's a, that's a, I think that's, that's a misheard lyric. It's a Mondegreen. I mean, that is exceptionally weird. But I, I think this is something that's going to occur throughout this is that like, it's weird until you put it within the framework of dream logic and then it just completely makes sense. I mean, it sounds like something I'm, I've right. never had. I've never been someone who's ever had really vivid dreams um, because when I look back on them, they're always, they're always these really weird outlying, um, you know, moments or, or images that just make no sense if you're in, you know, a waking consciousness. But when you're in the dream, it seems like, Oh, of course you're wearing, you know, yeah, uh, and of course you're wearing flannel underwear with a spoonful of jam on your head. I think I brought that up in my essay. I can't remember, but the, uh, 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 reframe the debate essay that a lot of these things sound totally insane um, because they seem to adhere to the only thing that your mind knows what to hold on to, which is dream logic. Um, if you're trying to make sense of something that makes no sense, at least your mind knows the craziness of dream logic, and so it, it may latch on to that. 
And I don't know where they, maybe the guy knew Jimmy Hoffa or was obsessed with him or something. Who knows? <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa was definitely on his mind at the time for some odd reason. Some, I, I somewhere so. deep in his subconscious, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> they, they left him with a pair of cement over shoes and then shot off into the sky. That was in Pelham, Georgia. I don't know how close that is to you, Josh. But oh, that's 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 South Georgia. I'm not going to claim any of those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> South Georgia shares so much with Florida that it's just full of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also like the uh, I also like that the, the fact that they're wearing pointy shoes, almost like they're elves or gnomes or something. What yeah. was what was that year again, uh, Adam? 1977. <laughs> Yeah, Star Wars. So, but to, but to be fair, that was like what, like three years, two years after Hoffa disappeared, something like that. Yeah. So I mean, so it's it's you know maybe it's a little bit more ingrained in the popular consciousness at that point too. That's true. It would have been, and like we yeah. we said before, uh, I've said before that he he disappeared in 1975. By the way, uh, as I said before, some of this phenomena seems to reflect what is in the consciousness or in the overall consciousness yeah, that, of people. That was a bit that was a big story back then for a few years like what happened mm-hmm. to Jimmy Hoffa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't say I was DB Cooper or something, but that was a little <laughs> earlier. <laughs> they definitely wanted him to know something. And and of course, usually some of the some of this stuff always has naked women in it too. That's that seems to be a common theme with some of them. All right. At least the ones that happen to men. <laughs> <laughs> well, my all, all of mine have naked men. Then what does that say? About me? <laughs> you spend too much time in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, Josh. Josh was kissing the Blarney Stone too much. Uh, no, I've already got the gab. I'm good. So let's start. I know each one of you had pulled some high strangeness cases. I want to start with uh, Go Rightly. Because I know that it's going to be weird if Go Rightly is. <laughs> how come? How come nobody ever talks about low strangeness? Because <laughs> that's happening right now. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when you uh, contacted me, hearing some feedback, when you contacted me, it's like uh, you know some episodes of high weirdness, and I wasn't sure if you were talking personal experiences or whatever, and I thought... It could be personal, kinda, that's fine. Yeah, let's, let's go there, because uh, it kind of uh, relates to this whole buzzing sound uh, phenomena that goes on. I had recently heard some of you guys on... Uh, Soraya's show talking about the buzzing thing. I went, wow, man, that's just like the experience. Uh, all this happened uh, when I was like 18, 19, uh, kind of a crazy uh, period. I talked before about my uh, psychedelic UFO experience. I think that kind of opened the door for a lot of this other weird <laughs> shit that happened. And uh, <laughs> Just uh, in a nutshell, I th- you know, always describe that uh, UFO LSD thing as unwitting the magic uh, ritual of some sort because the friend I saw it with, we were joking to each other before it happened, you know, <laughs> what if we saw some UFOs? Sure enough, it wasn't long after we saw this crazy shit. But And so 
in a lot you were talking about dream logic and dream states, all of these experiences I had related to different uh, sleep states, you know, and there's a lot of uh, different levels of uh, degrees of trance states and altered states, but also sleep states. I was thinking about this the other day, you know, there's uh, the obvious uh, dream state that everybody has, but then there's, you know, there's lucid states. I've had a few lucid dreams in my time and also uh, hypnagogic, which is another type of uh, sleep state, but I had some unique experiences in another type of sleep state, which was totally unique. And the first one happened, I I don't remember the timeline exactly, but it was uh, not long after my LSD UFO experience. And I was in my uh, backyard. It was in uh, summer. I went out there to sleep, you know, and this, this was unique. I woke up in the dream and everything was like it normally was, which is uh, a rare, you know, I haven't really experienced that in dreams before. So I'm there laying out, sleeping outside on a chaise, chaise lounge. I had a blanket over me and I was uh, facing the east and everything in the dream was like it was, you know, nothing was out of place. My backyard and my house, the chaise lounge. None, you know, none of that was like a weird dream where you have uh, a little bit of your friend's house or somebody else's house, you know, different elements seep in. This was totally my, you know, backyard and my house. And But it changed when a big UFO came down, got closer and closer, you know, like similar to Close Encounters of the uh, Third Kind. <laughs> hmm. And I felt somebody tap on my shoulder and I jerked. And woke up, and that was the end of that dream. But it, uh, and this is where the buzzing uh, starts. Uh, I had some uh, dreams or sleep states or astral projection experiences around the same time frame, and I was also kind of thinking about that period. I was into a lot of uh, stuff, you know. I was interested. I read an old spiritualistic books about astral projection. So I had a desire to do that. The same thing with prior to the UFO experience, you know, there was a yearning to uh, see that. So that was in my mind. And uh, during that period, I, I flashed back. I was doing a lot of writing of lyrics at that time for a band I was uh, working with. And uh, in fact, the same guy I had the UFO LSD experience. We collaborated on a lot of songs. I flashed back. I used to have an Ouija board that I did all my writing on, and I didn't think much about it at the time, you know, but it was like I wrote hundreds of lyrics during that period, and it was all, they seemed to come from nowhere, you know, so I was, seemed to be uh, tapping into some strange stuff back then. Maybe who knows what it was <laughs> in my own mind or who knows where the muse comes from, but uh, so we'll get to the buzzing sound now. So it was during that uh, period, I had some similar dreams where I'm in my bed, you know, uh, evidently in a dream state, but nothing's out of place. My room is exactly as it always is. Then I would start hearing this buzzing sound and was like kind of a electric current pins and needles filling went across my body and I had this lock jaw experience happen with my mouth 
And then my body started floating up, levitating above the bed, you know, like mm. three or four feet, like, uh, you know, like in uh, The Exorcist, that kind of <laughs> levitating. This, this, uh, these dreams happened two or three times, and each time, I'd, you know, it'd be the same experience, that buzzing sound, kind of like an electrical current. I'd get this lockjaw filling with my mouth, and I'd levitate up above my bed, you know, three, four, five feet, never really went anywhere until the last one, the last uh, experience, which got really weird. Um, once again, I went into that, uh, you know, the uh, same situation. I'm there laying on my bed and go through this process of having the buzzing sound and the electrical current, pins and needles. And I start leaving my body, and I start hearing these demonic, weird sounds, uh, entities talking to me. You know, that's how I perceived oh, it at the time. And yeah. I started fl basically flying around my room like a bird trapped into a room trying to get out. I never left the room. Then I, boom, woke up, and I was scared shitless, you know? Yeah, like slammed back yeah. into your body. Yeah, and I said, I never want to do that again and and i never did afterwards uh probably 10 years after that i was uh found some old book on astral projection and it talked about that pins and needles sensation so anyway that's my personal high weirdness wow i, I you know i've i i I say it all the time but like <clears throat> any of my like weird strange experiences i had when i was a kid and there's something very similar to that that happened to me. Like, I, I remember I, I, like, woke up. I was probably about 11 or 12. And I woke up and, like, I could just hear. It wasn't like, it was kind of like a clicking sound or, like, feet walking in the room. And then I, like, woke up. You know, so I, 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 could, I could have, like, a similar experience to that. And, and the voices over the bed, I've had that, too, when I was real mm. little. But that, yeah. How all the, how all of these were unique was, you know, these were supposed dreams where, in that dream state, nothing was out of whack or weird. You know, the, my room or when I was outside, everything was in place. You know, so that yeah. was that was kind of a unique element to all these experiences. Yeah, I, I've had the. Experience experience again when i was a child of like waking up and everything in my room being rearranged which freaked me out <laughs> oh geez yeah that was crazy and i i remember like i actually woke up and i'm stumbling trying to find everything and like my my dad actually walks in the room and like everything all of a sudden just rearranges <laughs> real quick and he's like are you okay and i'm like uh, wow. i'm just standing there i, I could have just been completely disorientated but it was a very strange feeling so I would have weird stuff like that happen to me, at least to the age of like I was about 14, and I haven't had anything weird like that happen since. Well, there's some subtle dream states, too. I mean, you yeah. could have been half dreaming, dream right. walking or whatever, and you were perceiving things being out of place. And when you got woke up, it was like, no, they're not out of place. What the <laughs> so, maybe, maybe reality isn't locked in, you know, for for. For people at different ages until you get to a certain age you just get used to perceiving a certain thing a certain way that just becomes the way it is and a, a child walking to that situation does not see what you see at all yeah 
but they don't have the, they can't sit there and compare notes with you really right and besides they're going to de- they're going to defer to your authority or whatever i don't know it just it seems like uh, children i mean it's been seen it's uh, people said this for centuries just children see a lot different things than adults do there was that yeah. robert anton wilson thing he said he saw a spider as as big as what 5 feet across when he was a kid sitting in the garden he said i saw it I, it wasn't a dream i was i went back in the house or whatever but you know, if if his mother was standing there, I doubt she would have seen that. Hmm. Oh, I, I got a couple more for you. These yeah, absolutely, good. absolutely. <laughs> this is back to the child, my childhood, and uh, boy, this really stands out in my mind. And this was kindergarten, so we're going way back. How much do you freaking remember from kindergarten? But we were doing uh, <laughs> finger painting, finger painting one day, and I totally went into another world into the finger painting. I mean, (laughs) Mm. I I was gone and then I was back and was like, wow, that was weird. And the same thing happened uh, another time. Probably I wasn't probably too much older than that. I had a uh, dog named Herman. He was a dachshund and uh, I was looking at him one time and I started staring into his eyes and it was like, uh, What's the movie, The Incredible World, or wherever, where they got sh- shrunk down and went to a human body? It was that same Fantastic, type of thing. Fantastic uh, voyage. Yeah, it was that. I was staring into his eye and was like, ooh. I was off into another uh, universe for a little bit. Then I popped out of it and went, hmm. whoa. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm just a little kid, so, you know, <laughs> you just kind of go, whoa, that was weird. It kind of sounds like uh, sounds sounds like Braun on Game of Thrones. Like you know, instead of warging into a direwolf, you're warging into a dachshund. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but in each of these cases, it it might have been just like I don't know, a couple of seconds where I was into that world and popped out. What's the, uh, the whatever that world is? <laughs> what's the non uh, personal experience that you picked? Well, I didn't, uh, you know, we were talking about, um, we won't go Joe, Joe Simonton's impressive just because I think a lot (laughs) of other people were impressed with his case, but let's go with another early one, uh, with, uh, nude, uh, intergalactic, uh, travelers. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a, it. It's a case that, uh, you know, after Kenneth Arnold had his sighting, he became an investigator for a while. Uh, Ray Palmer with, uh, the hell was his uh, magazine? Uh, Eight Flying Saucer Smear? No, that was Jim Mosley. No crap. Yeah, you're right. Well, there was a Flying Saucers uh, magazine, and there was Fate, and there was one other, I think. Amazing, amazing story. It was Yeah, the, that's uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Palmer uh, paid Arnold to go. Yeah, paid um, Kenneth Arnold to go do some uh, these field investigations. One was the famous Maury Island. Then the other one was this guy named uh, Samuel Eaton Thompson. And I've actually written a passage about this. I'll I'll just read it to you. It's real short. It's from this contactee book we've been working on. But uh, 
uh, goes, retired railroad worker Samuel Eaton Thompson claimed that while driving a stretch of rural road on the evening of March 28, 1950, he came across a landed flying saucer in the woods near his home in Centralia, Washington. As Thompson approached the craft, out stepped a group of attractive Venusians wearing nothing but their birthday suits. Hey, hey. These, hippie Venusian, these hippie Venusians were also vegetarians, which apparently uh, contributed to their wholesome appearance. Thompson described them as naive and childlike, and for some reason they had no idea who built the flying saucer they rode in on, which I always found kind of <laughs> curious. <laughs> Thompson mm. ended up spending the night – <laughs> Thompson, ahead, Thompson spent the night with the nude crew, sleeping in a chair in one of the ship's bedrooms. Next morning, he asked if he could run home and grab his camera, then return to take some photos. As Thompson later explained to Kenneth Arnold, it was, quote, just like trying to take a picture of the sun. There was a glow to it. The film was just blank. I wanted to get some of them right on to the ground to take some pictures of them, but they wouldn't come out, end quote. <laughs> Um, Just like Bigfoot, it never comes out. (laughs) Yeah. Arnold, uh, Kenneth Arnold, you know, didn't think, he didn't think uh, Thompson was bullshitting him, but he thought it might have been more of some type of psychic experience, internal experience, perhaps. Whatever he encountered out there in uh, Centralia, Washington. Man, that, <laughs> that is that is strange. <laughs> you you got never heard that one. That's a good one. <laughs> you got another one? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, I would just. I I just see the the ones. A lot of these old ones, uh, older stories, impress me because, like. Right. Uh, Joe Symington, I mean, that's kind of a funny story, <laughs> how the uh, saucer lands and the little guy pops out of the hatch and wants some water. Joe gets him some water, and another guy's in there cooking flapjacks, and uh, he gets a flapjack, and the uh, little <laughs> E.T. salutes Joe, and Joe suits him back, and he flies off, you know, then... <laughs> But then uh, everybody who knew uh, Joe Simonton seemed to think he was a solid citizen, a solid witness. And when Heineck went out there to talk to him, he thought, you know, they were were going to figure out this was some kind of faker. But he was impressed with Simonton as well, as uh, sounds like Valet was uh, impressed with him as well. So uh, who knows? And Simonton never seemed to... uh, try to profit off his experience so you know that that <laughs> that's one i like it's probably because the pancakes were so bad he just they weren't they weren't they didn't <laughs> taste good josh needs to yeah. do his impression of him of joe simonson yeah you, you've done it for oh, me oh. before <laughs> oh well i don't know if i can do i can do a sort of a Northwoods <laughs> sort of i can do a north woods accent but uh you know those little fellas just came along and they just gave me these pancakes and i tried them and they tasted awful uh, wow. I gave, one, gave one to a judge and gave one to that nice heineck fella uh, <laughs> you're making me homesick man <laughs> we, we drank some we drank some lineys before before i sent them off <laughs> <laughs> and then they lifted off of their spaceship, you know. 
<laughs> Look like so many Italian fellas. Huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. Just just weird, I tell you. Then I went and milked the cows. <laughs> it was a chicken farmer. I had to go six the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, there's a, here's another aspect of that. We laugh about it, but it's like this weird thing happens to him, and then he just kind of goes back to normal life like, Nothing happened. Like it was just weird, and I don't really have anywhere to explain it. And that's it. <laughs> he probably got tired of people bugging him about it. You know, it's okay <laughs> enough of that shit. <laughs> well, and just giving him—I mean, give him so much crap about it. I'm sure. I mean, it's because it's—it's it's a dumb story. That's what I love about it. It's just <laughs> yes. a dumb story. Yes, yes. You know, and it's—it's. I—I <laughs> know that some people probably think that there's not much. You know. Wait to the to the idea of you would never make up a story that dumb, but at the same time you'd never make up a story that dumb if you wanted to be believed. <laughs> but, but but he came from they they came from uh, Beetlejuice to give us pancakes, and then they left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, or, uh, you know, the hell they wafers. On, on to the on to the bishop. What you got? Uh, what you, you got for us? I got uh, one short, weird one that does not involve really aliens. I got one slightly uh, longer story that uh, does involve something. I, I didn't even remember this story. And a third one, which is Stan Gordon's story with the Bigfoots, which is one of my favorites always. Um, let's see. Uh, this is from The Rebirth of Pan by Jim Brandon. Deep cut. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. In uh, November... November 1974, a Seattle grocer named Ernest Smith was hunting about 40 miles south of Tacoma, Washington, near where a mystery flying object appeared to crash in flames on the night of November 14th. Smith said he was scanning a bluff with binoculars when an incredible green glowing creature came into view. It was vaguely horse-like, he said, with four legs that looked like tentacles of an octopus and a football-shaped head with an antenna-like prong sticking up. The body was covered with scales. <laughs> it's Cthulhu. Yeah. Smith, aghast, watched the creature for five minutes until it slithered away. He did not shoot it for fear of having it pursue him. Um, I always like that that's a story because it, do, it makes no sense whatsoever. What the hell was a football head-shaped horse-like thing with tentacles and a, an antenna prong sticking out of its head with scales between walking around the woods in Washington? If we if we take these sort of things a seriously, of, a lot of moving parts. Man. Yeah. <laughs> If we take these things seriously, though, I've been very, um, I've been very, I've been warming up to the idea that if you take a look at the descriptions of spirits in grimoires, mm-hmm. you're probably going to find a lot of similar things to a lot of these really strange stories like that. So I wonder if in some grimoire there isn't, you know, my little Cthulhu lurking mm-hmm. around somewhere that you know that would work as a uh, would work as you know a possible precedent that's a that. good point yeah what 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 is the one uh, uh you see it printed often in some of the uh books about the occult they're just these strange figures like uh uh behemoth and uh weird creatures like that that don't make any sense i've i have a book that has those in it I know what you're talking yeah, about. That's some, a good point. Yeah, there's there's a book idea, you know, the extra, the strangest of the extremely high strange, you know, yeah. uh, with stories like that, and just somebody should just uh, 
gather those together. Next time you have a, a high strange, get Albert Rosales on. He'll Yeah, he'll I was blow. just thinking of that. Yeah. I had him on twice just so he could keep telling me weird stories. Your <laughs> <laughs> uh, terry cloth bananas from outer space, Greg, is another favorite. Yeah, I, I couldn't find the description of that one. Uh, I've got the, the second one, which is like three paragraphs. Um, this is from the wonderful, fully illustrated and up-to-date field guide to extraterrestrials by Patrick Weege, uh, your friend and mine, Patrick. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so this is in the in the chapter entitled uh, "What is it?" Uh, robotic type entities. The witness claims he was flying a Piper Cub when his light aircraft was struck by a pulsating lozenge-shaped UFO. Um, uh, the witness, Fred Reagan, had no parachute, and his wrecked aircraft, uh, as as they, his, he and his wrecked aircraft were falling through the air, he began to feel like it was being drawn upward by what he described as a sticky clinging force. The next thing he knew, he was drawn into the UFO. Inside, Reagan found himself in the presence of small, glistening beings. He described them as about three feet tall and looking like huge stalks of metallic asparagus. <laughs> the being somehow spoke to him in English, of course, and apologized for the accident. They then gave him a medical <laughs> examination, found that he had he had cancer, and removed it in exchange for the trouble they had caused him. Oh, that was nice of them. Yeah. You see, kids, asparagus is good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the being something. Huh? Metallic, metallic exp- uh, asparagus? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he described them as smelling like ozone or sulfur. When way. was this? And he de- described them as smelling like uh, of uh, like uh, uh, asparagus pee. The being subsequently <laughs> desp- deposited Reagan unconscious, but without a single bruise in a farmer's field near the wreckage of his aircraft. It should be noted that after falling several thousand feet, the engine had embedded himself itself six feet into the ground. Um, less than a year later, here's here's what really made me uh, really want to read this. In May of 1952, Reagan died at the Georgia State Asylum for Asylum for the Insane. The cause of death, according to a news report, was degeneration of the brain tissue due to extreme atomic radiation. Hmm. Uh, Reagan's bizarre story sat unpublished in the files of the ed- editor of the English Journal uh, uh, Flying Saucer Review for more than a decade. Um, but while Reagan's account had seemed too preposterous and fantastic in the 1950s, in the late 60s, it had acquired a rather prophetic ring, as it possessed many features that had become rather commonplace in such accounts. What? What's commonplace about any of that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, that God, right out. This guy was a total hipster. He was into metallic um, asparagus, uh, fleshy asparagus, before anybody else was. <laughs> Good, good band name, man. Huh? <laughs> Metallic asparagus. And yeah. that was that was 1951, right, Greg? Uh, great. Now I close the book. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the the last one is um, I always wanted to have Stan Gordon on to talk about this. And it, yeah, 1951, July 1951. Class robotic type, fleshy variant four, whatever that is. <laughs> characteristic shiny skin. Uh, but the Stan Gordon one, um, that this combines a lot of uh, high strangeness in one thing. There's Bigfoot. There's glowing orbs. There's there's psychological effects. Um, on the night, this is from Stan Gordon. Uh, actually, this is from Jeff Rents. Sorry to say, but it's uh, it's uh, linked. Uh, Stan Gordon wrote this. Everybody knows who Stan Gordon is. Um, listening to this show, and if they don't, go look him up because you should. Uh, <laughs> 
on the night of October 25th, 1970. Oh, night before my birthday. That's great. Uh, October 25th, 1973, Stan Gordon says, my UFO hotline was active with UFO reports from around the state. Around 10.30 p.m. that evening, I received a call from a state trooper in the uh, Uniontown barracks concerning an incident which he had just returned from investigating. Uh, one of those involved was put on the phone for me to interview one of the witnesses. At about 9 p.m., 15 people observed a very large red spherical object hovering low in the sky, which began to descend towards a pasture. The witness and two boys proceeded up the field, up to the field, and observed, observed a white dome-shaped object sitting, sitting on the ground that illuminated the area and was making a loud whirring sound. It estimated at about 100 feet in di diameter. They were 250 feet from the object and about 75 feet from a fence line. Walking along the fence line were two tall figures, seven to nine feet tall, covered with hair and arms hanging down past the knees and displaying glowing green eyes. The creatures were fired upon. Uh, first traces were shot overhead, then live ammo was used. The largest of the two creatures turned towards the other, almost touching it. At the same time, the object in the field disappeared and the sound stopped. The creatures slowly walked towards the woods. I don't know how it disappeared. I guess it just winked out. One boy had already ran home. The other two left the field and went to the farmhouse. Uh, 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 and went then to a neighbor's home and called the state police. When the trooper arrived and the main witness went to the site, uh, where the object had landed, there was a glowing area, according to the trooper, that was about 150 feet in diameter. He could read a newspaper from the amount of light it was emitting. Uh, the farm animals refused to go near the area. The witness we talked to has always stated that before they left the field, the largest of the two creatures was seen in the woods about 10 feet from them. He shot at it and struck the, fe and struck the fence that stood between them. Later that night, and here's the part that really does it for me. Later that night, our team arrived in the area. Radiation levels normal, glowing area now gone. Animals still wouldn't go near the spot. Strange events began to occur during the early morning hours in this dark, secluded location. A farmhouse several hundred feet from us was seen by some in the party to suddenly light up like daylight for several seconds. A bull in the field and a dog seemed unconcerned about us uh, and were looking into the woods. The main witness, a rather large individual while being questioned, suddenly began, began to growl, throwing his father and my assistant, George Lutz, towards the ground. The man ran into the field growling like an animal and emitting screams, one which was near inhuman. His, uh, his own dog approached him to attack and then ran off whimpering. The man suddenly collapsed to the ground. Two of my team members began to complain they were having trouble breathing. Suddenly the air was filled with a strong odor, odor that can best be described as rotten eggs, Josh. Uh, the man came out of what appeared to be an almost trance-like state and began talking about visions he saw about the end of the world. Not knowing what would happen next, we helped each other back to our vehicles. It was apparent that professional help was required. An eminent psychiatrist, uh, Bertolt Schwartz, was contacted. He traveled to Pennsylvania at his own expense, interviewed all the those involved, including the eyewitnesses and the state trooper. Um, there are many paranormal events which reportedly occurred in the years following this episode. Uh, and, a minute, and many years later, in a follow-up interview, an MIB event associated with the case was revealed. This, so, was, this was Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, 1973. Yeah, uh, and I, I've seen... Sorry, go ahead. 70s were a extremely active and weird time for high strangeness, entity reports, UFO stuff in general. Uh, mm -hmm. The weirdest stories of all, I think, came out of the 1970s, actually. Right, yeah, this was right before the Greys just took over everything. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting because it makes me think of uh, Timothy Renner's stuff, Josh, you know, his his material. 
And in anything that like the, the the Eastern Bigfoot stuff just has a really weird quality to it. Yeah, it it it, it really does, and that's one of those great. I mean, that's such a classic. That the Stan Gordon case is just such a classic one, and I I like to point to that one because that's the case that he said really sort of made him rethink, um, you know, what Bigfoot could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go right, Lee. Were you uh, wanted to add something to that? I totally forgot. Sorry. <laughs> there, there was one that we read when we had Tim on. I read it after the interview, and it was—I don't remember where it was, but I got it from Jerome Clark's book, and Which, it was—it it was one? encyclopedia. Uh, yeah, the encyclopedia one about strange. Um, I guess really, he talks about strange physical phenomenon. But this one was just, I mean, just creepy. Like, it was similar to that where you had several entities that were hairy and, like, one of them, like, made a sound like a woman screaming. And it just, like, uh, it's creepy. Oh, yeah. That's, I think that's, like, a, a oft-reported Bigfoot sound is the woman yeah. screaming. Woman yeah. screaming and uh, and babies crying. And you'll find that, again, you know, you'll find that in not only Bigfoot reports, but Keel said that there was, uh, he heard of some... Um, UFO reports having a similar sound. I think uh, there's some Ed Walters reported it uh, with Gulf Breeze. You know, take that, you know, as you will. Hmm. Um, but it's also something that you'll find in um, Native American lore. And, you know, this is my this is my wheelhouse. Fairy lore, you'll find that exact same thing. The, a, the, the baby crying sound. There's, a demo- hmm. there's almost like a demonic possession aspect to that story, too. Oh, well, yeah, oh, there oh, is. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's you could call it demonic. I don't know what you know if if that's your your want, um, but it's it to me. It just points up that when somebody gets a lot of people get close to this weird stuff. Um, the closer they get, the more they're affected. I mean, this is something that's been Valet and hundreds of other people have noticed this before. But um, that these lasting effects are probably just as important to pay attention to and to study and to uh, catalog and talk to the witness later as the original, uh, uh, the, you know, the precipitating event. Um, it'd be interesting to go back and talk to some pe- some of these people who've had these extremely strange experiences and what's happened to them in the years after that, mm-hmm. if they're still alive or what, you know, what happened to their lives? What happened to their families? Dale Spar, the guy that had that, uh, the uh, the Ohio one of the Ohio police chase thing I think it was the sixties anyway he um, he he chased a UFO in his police car and then decided that the UFO kept coming back to visit him so he gave it a name he called it Floyd <laughs> and 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 his his wife left him and by the time there, there's a great story I can't remember AP story where they visited him like months after the thing happened and he's like living in a hotel, eating bologna sandwiches, and he's estranged from his wife and his family, all because of this, this you know, weird... Floyd? Yeah, Floyd. Floyd the Flying Saucer. Yeah. <laughs> Spaceship! <laughs> Floyd! <laughs> Floyd. <laughs> yeah. Floyd! 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 That's all he could say. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very destabilizing thing for lots of people. Um and uh, if they're if they're prepared to accept that something strange has happened to them, it throws a lot of their bedrock. You know, I, there's a set and setting thing going on, especially set with these people, because 
you know, if if your if your brain is very rigid about what your belief system is and what your how the world is set up and how things are run and you know how things should be, I think you have a lot more problem integrating these these weird events and your policemen. I mean, for Christ's sake, they yeah. they're a really good example, right? And, and and then you know also too you know they're in in any of these cases they're usually the people see a policeman involved it's like well that's trustworthy. I like uh, also too, Greg, your story that you you side often about the, the one about the woman, the the um, the investigator kind of like you know telling her that she uh, asking her the headache question and then she starts having headaches. But you say in that in that case, like what she saw originally was a white rabbit in front of her in front of her house. <laughs> no, it was a th- three or maybe four foot, extremely large. Rabbit with plaid fur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way to sell that short, Adam. <laughs> yeah, it was, pla- you know, and the guy that told me the story, he's just kind of like, well, this orb followed our car. And he goes, you know, the weirdest thing. It's like, I think that's the most important part of the story is the plaid rabbit. I don't care about the stupid orbs following the car. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> well, for people that didn't know, this guy was a MUFON investigator. I talked to him because uh, I was at, uh, at the um, Laughlin, not Laughlin, uh, UFO Congress. Um, somebody had a party in their room, as people do, and they said, oh, you like weird stories here? You know, so-and-so has this really weird story, and he repeated it to me. Um, I won't go into details, but he said at the end, you know, he's asking her the standard questions. What, you know, how big was the orb? How fast was it going? Didn't seem to care too much about the rabbit. Um, and then, you know, any any physical effects? How do you feel? And she's like, well, I'm fine. I uh, just wanted to, you know, it's a weird experience. I wanted to talk to somebody. And her father called MUFON because I guess he knew about it. This was, uh, they were Navajo tribal members. Um, and he, the, one of the, he said, and then I asked her before I hung up, I said, any migraines, anything like that? And as soon as he said that, I said, you shouldn't have asked her that. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Well, what do you mean? He said, well, funny you say that because I called her back the next day and she said that that hour after I hung up with her, she said she got the worst migraine of her uh, life. Yeah. And I said, don't you see how you might have, you know, you might have contributed to that? And he, he absolutely did not really want to acknowledge that that he had anything to do with it because that's just something that happens to witnesses. Another form of contamination. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to the yeah. cut. Let's go to the cut. All right, guys. So there are like a thousand that. I've heard through the years and I have, I, I just, I, as soon as somebody mentions them, I go, Oh, that's my, you know, that's, you know, one of my favorites. Um, but there's one, there's one story in particular that I have wanted to share in some capacity. And, uh, I've never really found a good, uh, venue for it. So I think this is probably, um, the best. This is comes from, uh, Brad Steiger's, the UFO abductors. Um, <clears throat> uh, 15 year old Oscar Iriart was a, Farm lad, considered diligent and reliable by his teachers and family, he was checking a dividing fence on horseback when he saw what he believed to be two hunters waving at him. Except for their sunken eyes and semi-transparent legs, Oscar said that they looked very much like two men one might meet, one might meet any day in Sierra Chica. Um, he is in, oh geez, I think this is Argentina. Um, they were more or less uh, five. Uh, they were more or less as tall as he, five feet seven inches, and they engaged him in a dialogue that Oscar later believed had been telepathic. "You are going to know the world," they said to him. "Yes, of course," Oscar agreed. "Someday, when I have saved much money, I will travel." "No," they said. "We will take you now." Then the beings paused. <laughs> "No, 
We cannot take you now after all. We have too much cargo, but we will come back for you. <laughs> the indica- oh, guys, this isn't, even, this isn't even the best part. They indicated an object resting in a deep, muddy ditch as their craft. One of the beings gave Oscar an envelope and told him to stick it in a nearby pond. The boy did as instructed and was startled to note that neither the envelope nor his hand got wet. Satisfied that he was suitably impressed with the demonstration, the beings entered their craft and took off straight up. I ran as as if in a dream toward my horse, Oscar recalled, but the animal was completely paralyzed and could not move until the flying object had totally disappeared. Oscar galloped to his home, told his parents of his encounter with the red-coated aliens, and showed them the envelope. Written on a sheet of paper in crude, heavy lettering were the words, You will know the world. Signed, Flying Saucer. (laughs) (laughs) Signed, Floyd. (laughs) Spaceship. Um, All right, I'm going right to my t-shirt page now. (laughs) Signed, Flying Saucer. Signed, Um, Spaceship Floyd. (laughs) Anyway, uh, the boy apparently um, had some subsequent sightings as well, uh, but he believed that he had received all this conversation via orders encrusted in his brain by telepathic means, quote-unquote. Um, but I always thought that was, that's always been my favorite, signed flying saucer. <laughs> <laughs> Sincerely, love flying saucer. <laughs> Best wishes. <laughs> <laughs> and let me flying guess. saucer. <laughs> let me guess, they never came back. <laughs> yeah, by, by the time you read this letter, I'll be in Zeta Reticuli. <laughs> Oh, it's like that, that Lee Crandall that I think uh, Go Rightly wrote about here. Um, I've got some. Have you seen this film there, Go Rightly, of Crandall um, reenacting <laughs> I, his Space Brother thing? I don't believe I have, no. If you go on um, YouTube and just type in Lee Crandall, um, C R A N D A L L, there's film of him that I actually saw at work one time when they were transferring the film. And it's Lee Crandall was like a, a, a very minor UFO contactee from the fifties. Anyway, there's a film, I guess they were going to produce like a little 16 millimeter film of what happened to Lee Crandall. There's a, <laughs> there's a, um, uh, trailer park, like 1958, all these like horrible metallic buildings, trailer park. Um, this guy dressed in a nice suit comes up and knocks on the door. All you see of his back of his head, he's got this like Val Thor wonderfully quaffed um, uh, uh, pompadour hair. All you see is the guy at the back of the guy's head, and he's talking to Crandall. And Crandall's smiling, and it looks like the best thing that's ever happened in his life. Um, like, I mean, he's having way too much fun. So the, the, he gets up with the guy, and he goes, no, wait, wait a second. And he writes on a piece of paper, and you see him, like, thinking about what he was going to write. He puts a piece of paper down and walks out of the the, the, mo- the trailer home with the with this guy, and there's a cut to the note, and it said, "It says, dear folks, gone to Venus. All is well. Love, Lee. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, that, that happened to be uh, Brother Baca who he met there, the Venusian. Brother Baca? Oh, who looked... Who looked Brother Baco, they all had kind of Italian names for some reason, but uh, <laughs> and they looked perfect, perfectly human, like any regular guy you'd see walking down the street. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> just a little darker. <laughs> <laughs> Another one, Josh. 
yeah, I, 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 there are others that I I have. I'm tr- I'm trying to remember. Like I said, I've heard a thousand of them, and I thought that they were yeah. hilarious. And then I never floats just, your boat the highest. We want to did, hear it. <laughs> didn't have, didn't have the time to to, to compile them. Um, but that the uh, that uh, sign flying saucer is a favorite. <laughs> That might be what they end with. I don't know. Well, that's uh, that's one of the ones that uh, <laughs> makes me think about. Well, some of this stuff, like the, there's there, and I've said it before. This mundanity to some of this stuff, and it's the mundane stuff that's more hilarious because it's so ridiculous, but yet mundane at the same time. Yeah, no, it's my. Yeah, no, because you you think that you would just come up with some sort of fantastic. Again, some sort of fantastic story as opposed to like the most, yeah, banal thing possible. Right, right, exactly. Well, let's go over to Red Pill. Right. Because I'm a lazy f- <laughs> I decided to, to use two cases that I'm already. You guys are making Rob out. work hard on the editing here with the F bobs. <laughs> oh, you, you edit them. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I could, I could, I could, I could choose to just leave them in. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> might have to with this one. <laughs> yeah, I think we might. <laughs> put it in yeah. iTunes with the with the uh, with, with the with the parental whatever. Yeah, yeah the I, just, I had one person say an f bomb on one of my shows, and I had to label all the shows with it, no matter what we were talking. We could be talking about children's literature, and I had to label it with explicit lyrics. <laughs> Well, but between that and my uh, my dirty blues didn't help things either. <laughs> ah, that was in there. But, oh, that might have been it, actually. I think it was the dirty blues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, we're interrupting uh, Red Pill. You know, it's a uh, okay. The first um, case I have is the one that happened in a small town of Spain called Conil de la Frontera, and this happened in 1989. Actually, it happened. Uh, before or almost uh, prior to another uh, high strangeness case, more, much more famous, the one that happened in, in the Russian city of Voronezh, you know, which uh, I could have talked about that, but it's, uh, I wanted to talk about these ones because uh, these Spanish cases are not really that known outside of uh, you know Spain and Latin America. So... There's this group of kids who are going to the to the beach, you know, hanging around, and and they start. The whole thing starts by they 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 seeing what they describe as something like looks like a, a red moon, you know, way uh, close to uh, uh, what do you call this? Well, an inlet or something, and and they didn't know what it was, and the 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 thing. Keep kept returning, night after night at the same time, and um, almost at least if if if, if uh, there was some kind of like I don't know operation going on that they didn't knew what it's about, and and the kids and another night they there are five of them you know, and after they see the the typical red UFO, they also see another one that passes right over them. And then they see two strange, tall figures, like literally coming out of the water, coming out of the of the of the the, the sea, 
towards them and you know understandably they freak out and they kind of like run but they don't run that far away you know they just like hide on on, on a sand dune to to keep observing these uh, uh, strange uh, individuals who uh, they these individuals were like uh, wearing this really weird attire. Like uh, uh, they they were they had round heads. They didn't have any discernible uh, features, you know, facial features. And they wore like these uh, kind of like glowing tunics that completely covered them from you know from the neck to to the toes. And 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 they moved in a very uh, mechanical, disturbing way. And at one point, they they lie on the sand, and they quickly kind of like almost make a, a almost like a, a fortress, you know, like a, bar- a barrier of sand around them. And then they start to to do this weird ritual. They start to pass on, uh, like seem, something like seemed like a glowing orb, you know, like almost like a, a like a ball game. You know, they started to pose this this ball from one to the other to the other, you know doing this for s- several uh, moments. And when they the, the, the entities, they got up again, they are no longer, you know, wearing those weird clothes. In fact, they, 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 they now look like uh, human beings, although kind of like weird. Hmm. One of them was almost two meters tall, had a very prominent forehead, you know, very uh, long, uh, almost silvery, uh, blonde hair, and 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 they were they were wearing uh, jeans, right, and, and and a checkered shirt, I think, and and the other one was a, a, a woman, very beautiful, had uh, dark hair, and and the eyes had almost like Asian features, which I think that was supposed to mean that the, the the eyes were kind of like slanted at the corners, and 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 then these two. Uh, the quote-unquote tourist, they started to move now uh, in a perfectly natural way. They started to move out of the beach toward the town. You know, this is to, well, all of this happened in a beach town, and and the kids uh, didn't know what to do. And one of them saw uh, out to the distance. They saw this other entity, which this was uh, completely. Um, uh, inhuman in, in 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 nature, you know, it was like a, a three meter tall giant uh, with a really big, uh, abnormal uh, head and two uh, dark eyes that were as big as uh, I don't know um, uh, chicken eggs. And all of this happened, and then uh, when the kids returned to try to check the the, the tracks left by the by these. Uh, Weird individuals. They discovered that they, their their tracks were not uh, normal human footprints. They were uh, different in form. They were huge, and and the, and also they they saw that uh, there were more tracks that they're supposed to be. You know, remember how the entities came out of the sea. They lie back on the, on the sand. Then they got up and they walked toward the town, which sounds almost like a very straightforward movement. But they found all sorts of tracks, almost as if the beings had been uh, moving in circles, you know, in, in every direction, which they didn't perceive. So 
that happened one night, and then you know, I guess the, the, the rumors about the encounter, you know, started to spread around the, 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 the town. A guy went there to try to to interview the kids. Uh, he finds them. He, uh, he he managed to convince them to return to the beach where where the encounter had happened because he wanted to like uh, uh, ask ask them more questions. And then, strangely enough, they they actually see the the that that strange pair, you know, the man and a woman, uh, which is kind of like completely nonsensical. If you think about the, if the phenomenon is trying to be covert, why the hell would you appear for a second time, you know, uh, in front of a UFO investigation, you know, on top of, of it all? I mean, are, are you are they trying to be covert or are they trying to be ridiculously conspicuous? So they run away when the when the investigator comes. Right. So all of this happened, and then you know the the, the news broke and was published in the newspapers, and uh, the skeptics tried to explain away the story by saying that the UFO that these kids were seeing was nothing but a, a boat that was from a, a English company that were. In the process of trying to lay lay out, uh, you know, cable, a telephone cable under the sea. You know, this is obviously before uh, the internet and before uh, uh, you know fiber optics and all of that. And 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 the two entities were nothing but frogmen that had come uh, uh, riding a, 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 a small boat and that they had. Come to the beach, and they took their equipment, and that's why you know the the from having a strange appearance. You know they were apparently, according to the skeptics, they were wearing a towel, you know, and then you know they they apparently left all of their equipment on the beach because that's what you know frogmen do, and they just decided to disappear, uh, you know, to the town. You know, there's even one of the skeptics said that the, that they had created this kind of like sandbar because they they wanted to get giddy with it. And when they realized that they had way too much uh, of an audience, they decided to say, ah, screw it. And, and that's what they left. This is, <laughs> it, it was a very stupid explanation. Juan Jose Benitez managed to prove beyond uh, any doubt that no way that uh, the light that the kids had seen was that uh, particular English uh, vessel, you know, they they weren't near the coast. They couldn't have possibly have have seen it from their from their position. And on, on, on top of that, the captain of that vessel said, "We do not use frogmen for our operations. Where we yeah. were, not, they were not in charge of laying the cable. They was just conduct, conducting the preliminary survey surveillance of the area, so other you know uh, groups will." perform and, and lay the cable later. So to me, it's, it's it's such a fantastic case because, you know, it shows that we're dealing with a, a, a phenomenon that can really uh, alter itself and morph itself according to to its needs. You know, that, that from having a completely um, uh, alien appearance to having almost that is almost normal. But not too normal because the 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 the, the two humanoids still had weird uh, characteristics. They were too tall. The man had this, uh, you know, completely weird ass forehead that almost like a, a, a like a 
the kind of bad makeup that you would, you would put on an actor on a B movie from the 1950s. You know, and saying, "Oh well, this is the alien." Oh well, the forehead, this is the alien. So why why is that? And and also, if 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 some people say, "Well, you know, the aliens are trying to conduct their operations away from from the attention of the public." Okay, if you are going to do that, why do you choose a a a, a, a beach resort? You know, to go in to do your incursion. Why yeah. didn't you go to I don't know some forgotten uh, beach in Africa or or in Central Asia or whatever? And, 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 and instead of going to a place where there is there are bars and there are tu- there are tourists. I don't think it was the the high uh, uh, tourist season, but there were still a lot of people in the town who could have seen them. So it, it, that's why. I, I find that particular uh, case fascinating. Yeah, why go into a populated area? Yeah, unless it's all part of the deception. It's all part of, you know, of the theatricality yeah. of the phenomenon that they want it to be seen. As yeah. simple as that. Yep. Uh, yep, that, that, that makes sense. There, there's a theatrical aspect to all this stuff. It's like they have to d- demonstrate this high strangeness factor to everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else you got for us? Okay, another. there's another case that I wrote about for Mysterious Universe. I, I entitled it The Case of the Morphing Flying Saucer. You know, and instead of the other previous one, which is, you know, humanoids morphing into uh, human beings, this was... Uh, a guy who, when he was very young, he started to uh, chase down uh, a flying saucer using his uh, uh, motorcycle, right? You know, talking about a, a guy with, you know, with cojones. <laughs> <laughs> so this happened in, which is, I think it happened in, the case happened in the 1970s. I'm not sure. Uh, 1974. So again, you know, high season of weird humanoid activity, right? So the guy was living in a in, in, in a city called Jerez de la Frontera. So, so all this happens in the province of Cadiz in Spain. You know, it's kind of like in in, in the south. If you, if you're not too familiar with the, the geography of Spain, and the guy was with his girlfriend. You know, so, so I guess they were you know at, at night outside. You know. Checking the stars, doing you know whatever young young people do when they are alone and they're in love, and they they saw this weird light moving uh, from uh, left to right or something like that, and and, and then it seemed as if the light had uh, landed on a nearby hill. So the guy decides to take his girlfriend uh, to her home and to ride with his motorcycle, you know, to where the place uh, he, which he had predicted that the thing had landed, you know, just curious to see what, what, what it was. And then when he arrives, the goddamn thing takes over again. It's almost, it starts to be like a, a, a game of, uh, of uh, chase, you know, of cat and mouse. The, 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 the object, which he by now perceives that it's not, a, not, is not a, a, um, uh, regular uh, uh, 
vehicle, you know, it's not a helicopter, uh, moves to another location. So he's like, ah, oh, son of a... But he keeps, you know, going and, and, and he rides his bike, his bike again because he's trying to, to, to reach the object. And by, but then, uh, to make a very long story short, the when he saw the the flying saucer like landing round, almost like right in front of him on on a on a highway, and the guy being you know very either very cavalier or very stupid, he kind of like went and, and throttled his his bike and and like uh, charged against the object, and then that precise moment, the lights of the flying saucer like uh, blinked out and uh, a truck appeared, a semi-truck appeared on, <laughs> on the highway moving in the opposite direction. And he was confused, like saying what, what the devil happened. But then he realized that the truck didn't emit any kind of sound. You know, it's almost like he was some, the, the, the truck was a projection or something you know it was a, a mirage so go, he goes to the pursuit of the of the of the truck and then he, he lost lose size of it but then he sees two park cars in, in in the highway you know the the uh the typical sedans uh that are you know described by people who have reported to have encountered men in black and yeah, sure enough, inside of the cars, there were uh, people who were not like the other ones. They, these were, they, they disappeared uh, normal enough. They were, you know, impeccably dressed. There was a woman with them, you know, very beautiful. And the guy who was at the wheel uh, seems to be in his 50s and had very, very white hair. And he kind of like saying, uh, you know, kind of like ask ask the guy for directions. You know, they're almost as if they were uh, acting as if they were lost tourists. And the guy offers himself to 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 take them where they want to go. Like you say, follow me, you know, and and, and I'll and I'll not take you where you know you there is this uh, junction where you, that you want to take. And again, the two vehicles don't. Em- do not emit any kind of sound, you know, not even when they cross uh, under a tunnel, you know, you, you, you will assume that the tunnel will reflect and, you know, uh, emphasize the, the sound of, of, of the engine of the cars, but they, uh, they didn't. So it was a, a, a very strange case at the end, you know, the guy came like uh, says farewell to, to, to these strange individuals who acted comp- as if they weren't lost, or they weren't even like particularly grateful for their for his assistance, almost as if they were annoyed by his presence, you know, like saying, "Okay, enough is enough." And hmm. the guy, by the end, you know, the guy says goodbye and 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 you know leaps on his bike, and you know he sees the two cars leaving on the direction he had po- pointed to them. Uh, and that was the end of it. But if you read the story in its whole, then you, you see that the phenomenon is once again capable of shaping, morphing itself to whatever they want. You know, from a from a bona fide flying saucer to a truck, to then two uh, individual cars. You know, and I I know that there are people like uh, Christopher O'Brien who criticize uh, Linda Moulton Howe. When she has uh, managed to suggest that 
when there are uh, events of cattle mutilation and, and, and witnesses see black mm-hmm. helicopters, that these are really uh, regular helicopters. There are, you know, uh, UFOs that are cloaked as helicopters. And I know Christopher Vian said, oh, well, this is silly. You know, Linda is just fantasizing. And it's probably that, you know, the, the, the most, uh, the, the, the best explanation will be uh, the easiest one, you know, that they are, in fact, uh, regular black helicopters, you know, unmarked. But what if, you know, if you read something like this, then you have to consider the what ifs. What if, yeah. you know, sometimes you see uh, a plane flying overhead? What do you have the 100% certainty that is a, a, a quote unquote regular plane? What if it's a projection, you know, that created by something? In order to, I don't, I don't necessarily think cloak itself because with this guy, I think it was, it was, it was toying with him, you know, and and then it got tired of the game, and that's when they say, "Now, nah, kid, you know, the hell with you." <laughs> Floyd was it's, Floyd it, was playing a game. Exactly, you know, yeah. Floyd was you know mor- <laughs> morphing into a, in, into a truck. But you know, the thing is, is like this uh, again. It's like the ref- what the phenomenon decides to reflect to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it I don't know whether it maybe it thought that it would be well maybe you can't handle a UFO maybe you can't handle a truck maybe it just seems like again you know Greg's co-creation theory that it's like in that case it's happening in real time I don't know I mean I think that the phenomenon was reacting to the guy in the way of right. trying to evade him yeah you know and, and the guy didn't feel any fear towards the phenomenon when it was showing itself as a flying saucer. In fact, the guy was literally hunting it. You know, he was chasing it with his uh, little uh, motorcycle. It's, it's it's totally farcical. You know, the scenario. Imagine a guy instead of a a, a, a a police officer trying to chase a UFO with his you know police car. This is a, a guy who, by the way. Uh, uh, years later, he also became a police officer. He was a member of uh, of hmm. what in Spain is called the Guardia Civil, which is kind of like a, a, a military police force unit. You know, there's the, the guy in char- they are the guys in charge of you know uh, enforcing the laws in Spain. And and I don't know. It's it's it, it's still. it poses a, a lot of questions with regards to the the. The power of the phenomenon, how just how omnipotent is, uh, and you know, how just how can they, how how uh, this uh, deceitful it can be. I mean, was the uh, absence of noise from the truck and the cars was that uh, evidence of limits to you know, their abilities to cloak themselves and to morph into to, to regular vehicles? Or was it just uh, also a way to to highlight the high strangeness to the witness, you know? Because right. otherwise, the guy would have said, okay, I guess the, the flying saucer disappeared and then, you know, let's call it a night. But when he said, wait a minute, that truck is not making any sound, that's impossible. That's when he start, uh, resumed the pursuit. Hmm. Let me ask you guys this, kind of winding this down a little bit, um, and this goes out to anybody. You know, a lot of these cases that we've talked about, it's 
50s, 60s, 70s, around that time period. Are we still seeing these now? Are we getting reports of high strangeness like this now that you guys know? Totally. When we mentioned yeah. the rabbit thing before, which would be now. Yeah, well, I think we're totally getting these reports. They're just they're self-selected out of the uh, the uh, database, or at least uh, the popular database, yeah. the ones that people hear about by the people who are reporting them, because they're doing the they're doing a self censorship where they say, "Well, this is too weird; it doesn't really fit in." Um, that's why I always liked um, Albert Rosales's site. Now, he, I guess he put it all in books. He he had he um, figured get, <laughs> giving all this out for free was kind of kind of sucked because he had to do <laughs> a lot of work collecting all this information, um, yeah. but. When you look at that, there's stuff all the way when it was still online. I'm sure in the books too. I think they're done by years, but all the way up to the present day, there's still extremely strange things going on, and nobody really talks about them. Mm-hmm. They don't get on the news. They don't get you know. They don't get in the popular UFO books. They don't get on the TV shows because nobody knows what to do with the stupid things. But you know, I think everybody here that we've all talked about this, that the, the, the stranger the thing is, the more off the map it is, the more, I mean, I hate to say it, maybe it's just my personality, but maybe it's, it's more closer to getting us towards an understanding rather than saying, okay, here's another alien ship. Okay. Here's another gray with big eyes here. Okay. Here's another, you know, just collecting that just over and over and over again. Why not start collecting the stuff that doesn't agree? The whole thing doesn't agree with how we, see the world so yeah i think going for the extremely strange part of the stuff that doesn't even agree with itself or what we've decided is it is 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 very important to pay attention to those things yeah my, my suspicion is that those cases are still happening you know it's just that uh, it takes a, a a lot of effort to uncover them because all of these cases that I've been talking about, you know, and, and Juan Jose Benitez, you know, the Spanish uh, investigator that collected them in books, we have them because the guy, that, I mean, took the trouble of driving God knows how many thousands of miles across, you know, little towns scattered all around of Spain in order to talk to these, you know, unknown witnesses, you know, guys, mm-hmm. people who had never sought any kind of publicity whatsoever, who had maybe uh, passed around the, the, the strange story uh, among only family members or friends, you know, or, or people close to their to them, you know, the, the very small social circles. Uh, and the guy goes around, wins the trust of the witnesses, and that's when, you know, we Yeah, get, very important. Yeah, stories, you know, there, there's also sort of weird, strange stories he has here of a, a guy... Uh, Prior uh, during World War II, he sees uh, two like robotic entities moving around. You know, uh, in, in, at first he, he was a child when he saw them, and at first I, I guess he thought they were you know pilots, you know, from, from the Spanish War. And then, but they they had some kind of like the typical beam weapon, right? That they used in order to try to uh, paralyze or, or confuse the, the the witnesses. I have a, there's also a, here um, a case of a, a guy who encountered, and this is a really really interesting one. A guy uh, uh, who encountered uh, an entity. I think it was uh, like a, a old woman, but. 
the old woman, instead of having uh, no, normal uh, legs, they ha- it had the legs of a goat. <laughs> Ooh, you know? a pan. And, and, and you think, oh, well, that's crazy. There, there, are, there are scores of accounts of people who have uh, in, encountered uh, uh, satire-like beings, you right. know, half man, half goats. Mm-hmm. And, and this happened in, 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 I think it was in the 1930s. So it's not yeah. like it's from uh, ancient mythology. Right. Yeah, sometimes I wonder, who was I listening to today? I think it was, I think it was uh, Conspiracy Normal, actually. <laughs> with uh, with, 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 with uh, Ren Collier about how maybe uh. we are sort of in a, in a post-UFO era. Like, sometimes I, I, I wonder if, if we're not just seeing... You know, the the more I, I I honestly anticipate the the stranger things you know continuing to to ramp up um, in terms of in terms of how often they're seen. You know, that they just you know not necessarily traditional UFOs, but just stranger and stranger stuff that won't get the attention because if there's something this this phenomenon likes to do, it likes to hide in the margins. And you know, being a you know being a giant object in the sky doesn't do that, but you know, being a plaid rabbit might. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, I, when I was talking about that, on the, we were talking to Ren on the show, and I was going to bring this point up, was I wonder if now like the UFO era may be over because now it's being replaced by, I know Rob really loves me bringing this up, the Phantom Clowns oh, Jesus. and the Black Eyed Kids and, the, um, and Slender Man and all these different kind of entities that people are seeing. And whether that's just be, it just somehow allegedly that's being seen replaced. Because I, uh, allegedly seen because I think mo- ninety ninety nine percent of those accounts are just you know uh, creepy pasta inter- internet yeah creepy you know, pasta yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rightly's kind of quiet back there. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> chime in too much. I was just thinking, uh, this isn't a long story, but uh, a while back we had the lo-fi site going, uh, League of Western 40 and Intermediates. Can't quite say that. And I don't think we're doing this now. For a, while, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> a while we had a, a thing where you could write in if you'd had strange experiences. And we got about half a dozen uh, people. And the one that stood out to me, <laughs> I laugh thinking about this. The guy, it was one of those childhood experiences. This guy wrote in that uh, he'd seen this butterfly one time with big teeth. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> I love. I love. That, I love that, that was it. <laughs> I, love, I love the questions that that brings up more than the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carnivorous butterflies. <laughs> and yeah, yeah it's, it's one Not of those little name. kid things, you know. But he <laughs> he was sincere about it. <laughs> the carnivorous butterflies, <laughs> the Barian enchilada. <laughs> 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 it's it's just people see things that just don't fit in, and I I don't think in a lot of cases they're making it up. Probably in most cases they aren't making it up because they seem a lot of them seem just as mystified as we are, and they <laughs> happen to yeah. them. They find it just as funny as we do. Just kind of like, what the hell was that? <laughs> you know, I can lie about it and say you know and say either I didn't see it or it was something else, but 
if I describe it to you exactly as it happened, it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And that I think that's the that's the essence of high strangeness. And it I, I think, you know, having a show about it just brings up the fact that high strangeness, I think, is a beacon in strangeness to some kind mm-hmm. of um, further understanding. I don't know what it is, but I know that ignoring it or pushing it to the side or saying it doesn't fit in with the rest of the strangeness is not the right thing. In fact, if you paid attention to more of the strangeness, it would probably get even weirder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there, there's an indication of what might be going on. You know, uh, I, I was thinking of, you know, forcing people into seeing things in a certain way or just let's all imagine that it's, you know, um, sentient beach balls for a few years. You know, for example, and then suddenly everything's sentient beach balls, and anything that isn't a sentient <laughs> beach ball is, is is just weird, and we don't want to put that in the in the database. But just as as a point of a, a point of departure, just to see, you know, how much perception. Um, well, I think it's I think everything's perception, but how much perception drives the conversation? I think it drives it almost completely. Yeah, yeah. Ag- agreed but, but, with that. The, the real question that we should be asking is whether the high strangeness is delivered by the phenomenon. It's kind of like akin to, you know, that episode with Kang and Kodos abducting Homer and then, you know, spraying him with alcohol, you know, just because nobody will will believe him. And by the way, did you guys read that story of the guy who claims to come from the year, I don't know, 2048 or yeah, something like saw, that? Yeah, I saw that. Did he yeah. tra- the, the way to time travel apparently everywhere. is to, to drink you know, like a, like a Cossack, and that's the way in which your 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 body can withstand the 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 time. Trip, you know? Well, in that case, awesome. Tim Benal and I will see you in the American Civil War, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you, but, okay, you, so maybe maybe the highest strangeness is a way for for the phenomenon to cloak itself or not to to be not taken seriously by the mainstream, while while at the same time being uh, acknowledged by outsiders like us, or maybe it's like if we return to the the model of the dream logic, maybe it's a result of the witness not having the, I don't know, mental discipline, for lack of a better word, to really uh, try to focus and understand uh, what's happening in front of him. You know, and the same way that, uh, most people really don't have any control of their dreams, so there's a lot of weird uh, stuff happening going around. But there are people who have mas- learned to master their dreams, and that's when they 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 can reach these uh, lucid or quasi-lucid uh, states, and that's when they can manipulate the the environment uh, on their dream worlds. I don't know. I wonder if 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 that is also the case with the UFO phenomenon. This is something that that my friend Graham Dunlop. Uh, like uh, suggested during a recent uh, interview we had with Grant Cameron, and and I thought that 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 kind of idea had uh, it, its merit. Yeah, absolutely. Like our, our yeah. brains, our brains are, are are fallible things to begin with, and it's it's designed to focus on survival elements. You know, it'll fill in gaps. It'll create things that aren't there. Um, and you got to kind of wonder how much of this is us projecting what we already know onto a situation or how much of it is something projecting what it thinks we expect to see onto the situation. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's that old chestnut about, you know, how come UFOs only show up to drunk people in trailer parks? But, you know, <laughs> if, if that's 
part of what's baked into the um, baked into the phenomena itself in a way of sort of um, you know self uh, I used to say self uh, negating but self deprecating. Um, you know, if that's if that's part of what it's intended to do, then that makes perfect sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Uh, and bringing this back full circle from what we started talking about, how much of this stuff is these experiences are akin to the religious experience? Like, is there is there that is that aspect? there like are we seeing it in this phenomenon what people used to experience let's say sometime in like the middle ages or something mm. you know yeah I think it, yeah i think so well, i think people have a uh, different context in which to see things they've got more of a they've got more of a buffet of uh, belief systems and context in which to see something now so they will go right the hell ahead and see them in those contexts which is why they've become, you know, less uh, hooked into religion and more to, you know, uh, a scientific viewpoint or a technological uh, element. Yeah. Yeah. It's very technological. Um, And I think that affect that to me, that very definitely affects your, your, your perception, your memory um, and how people and how the conversation goes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that there's a very close analog because I mean, if nothing else, you know, you look at the. Uh, I, I still think that the lion's share of anomalous events still happen in places where there would be spiritual awakening. The wilderness, you know, I mean, the the forty days and forty nights in the desert mm-hmm. and Aboriginal walkabouts. I mean, this is where these things take place, and um, that's still where, again, I think the lion's share of these sort of anomalous events take place. Not to say that they don't happen in cities and in homes, but um, I think that there's something to that. Oh, there's less. There's less noise there too. Um, I was going to have Ritzman on last night, but he, he he couldn't make it. We're going to do it on Wednesday. But um, what he was saying was that um, – I forgot what I was going to say. What did you just say, Josh? Um, wilderness is places of spiritual oh, revelation. Yeah. If you're going to go out and try and do something like this or start doing experiments like this, it's best to go somewhere where there's not a lot of people, not a lot of stuff, and not a lot of noise. And um, – because it's distracting, and I, I think that's probably why people see more of these things where there's not much else going on because your attention is drawn to it then. Hey, I, I got something for you guys. This is a uh, quickie talking about these nature wilderness experiences. I'd been uh, working on an article here uh, recently about uh, Discordianism and psychedelics and how uh, the different people in the early Discordian scene use psychedelics, and this is one of my favorite uh, high strangeness episodes from Robert Anton Wilson. I'll just read this to you. It's just a couple paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find some of the earliest reports of Discordian psychedelic experiment in uh, Wilson's Cosmic Trigger, Volume 1, from the period he moved his family to a rural setting in 63, quote, to an old slave cabin in the woods outside Yellow Springs, Ohio, with my wife Arlen and our four small children. I had rented the cabin from Antioch College for $30 a month and had an acre of clear land to grow food on, 30 acres of wood to seek mystery in. 
end quote. And it was there with the aid of peyote buttons. This was 63. He could order peyote buttons by the uh, mail that he was uh, had these ex- had these oh, experiences. Take that, Amazon Prime. So he goes on to say, by mid 1963. I had logged 40 trips to inner space and frequently had the hallucination of telepathic communication with plants, both when flying on the wings of peyote and when I was straight. The strangest entity I contacted in those 20-odd months of psychedelic explorations appeared one day after the end of a peyote trip when I was weeding in the garden and a movement in the adjoining cornfield caught my eye. I looked over that way and saw a man with warty green skin and pointy ears dancing. I watched for nearly a minute entranced and then and then green skin faded away, just an hallucination, but I could not forget him. Unlike the rapid metaprogramming during a peyote trip, in which you are never sure what is real and what is just the metaprogrammer playing games, this experience had all the qualities of waking reality and differed only in intensity. The entity in the cornfield had been more beautiful, more charismatic, more divine than anything I could consciously imagine when using my literary talents to try to portray a deity. As the mystics of all traditions say so aggravatingly, those who have seen know. Well, I had seen, but I didn't know. I was more annoyed than enlightened, but that was not to be my last encounter with that particular critter. Five years later, in 1968, he talking about he read Carlos Castaneda's The Teaching of Don Juan. Was just, I was just going to mention <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah. And saw the same, and he goes on to say, Castaneda, the anthropologist, saw the same green man several times. And Don Juan, the shaman, said his name was Mescalito. He was the spirit of the peyote plant. Yeah, Mescalito. Yeah. Mm. That's exactly what what came to my mind, too. Strong argument for an animist perspective. Explain. Um. Just the idea that, um, you know, there is a spirit of peyote. There is a spirit of every mountain, every rock, the sort of. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. yeah so basically, indigenous belief, you know, prior to, to a lot of formalized religions really keyed in on the idea that every single thing ex- ex- extant in the world has some sort of attached spirit. Yeah. Not, not, a, not yeah. A, a pyramid top down kind of boss thing, but more like right. everything ha- is its own nature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. It, well, that's a perfect place to end it guys. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Before we go, um, we'll start with Greg and Adam. Uh, you guys are working on a book together, so this is what's next for you guys. So tell us a little bit about it. Kind of mentioned it a little bit, but well, uh, 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 go rightly's go rightly's running it. It was his idea, so I think he should describe. It. <laughs> okay, it's uh, basically a book on the old school contactees, kind of a who's who of all the different players, with a lot of. Uh, exclusive uh, photos that haven't been seen before. So uh, that's basically the gist. And we have a beautiful uh, cover for the book created by Red Pill Junkie. It's amazing. And uh, a few months, next early next year, I'm hoping we'll have this out. Excellent. 
Yeah, I definitely want to have you guys on to talk about that because that's uh, that that's we haven't we haven't explored that too much. Yeah, it's not just another contact ebook. That the thing I you know for the part I contributed, um, and I, I think uh, I know that uh, Adam does this too. I wanted to not see another contact ebook because we've both seen tons of them. I wanted to see a contact ebook where I would learn stuff in it, not just the wonderful pictures. And, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of these pictures either. They're coming from private uh, collections. Some of them uh, we got permission uh, or Adam got permission to print them. But um, what what I was trying to do when I did, you know, wrote my articles for the book or the entries was I want to find out something I did not know. In fact, I'd like to find out two or three or five things that I didn't know about this person before. Um, for instance, I wrote about Frank Strange's. I went down to the library and I found out that he was once, um, and uh, Tim Cridlin pushed, uh, uh, alerted me to this, but he was, um, he was arrested uh, in an airplane, I think in 1971 at a, at a desert airport out here in California. He was arrested in a private plane that was uh, taxiing around with 300 pounds of marijuana in it. And he went to, um, he went to prison for, I guess, a couple of years for this. Um, I didn't know that. And I've got, you know, I found other entries on him running uh, little UFO conventions and saying people like Francis Gary Powers and other people were going to be there. And then the, the writer finds out that he calls these people, like William Shatner, he calls up the people, the writer for the Long Beach Press-Telegram, <laughs> and they say, they're like, what are you talking about? We've never heard of this guy. Or they say, we told him to piss off like months ago. Um, and so the reporter calls Strangers back, and he says, "What's up here? These dude, Francis Power said he's never heard of you." And William Shatner says that he refused to come. He said, <laughs> "Well, we're actually still waiting for word from those guys, but if you do come, we might have former President Ford here." <laughs> <laughs> Josh, Just stories like that. <laughs> Josh, how about yourself, man? I understand the book is finished. The third book. Uh, yeah, I, I should make my way through um, make my way through the last round of edits tomorrow. Uh, any of you guys want a copy to, <laughs> to look, let me know what I need to cut out? I'll be glad to send it to you. Um, but that should be coming out. I just spoke with Patrick Weege last night, and we're on track for uh, probably uh, first half of 2018 for release. Excellent. Nice. Excellent. And Mr. Red Pill. Uh, well, like Adam said, you know, I... I was fortunate enough to uh, give a hand to 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 the project of this uh, book, you know. So I, I designed the cover, and I think that uh, it's going to be a really uh, people will will notice it, you know. The same way that I tried to make the the reframing the debate uh, cover, you know, to be uh, flashy and noticeable without you know being in. in in bad taste and what else you know well i'm i'm, I'm still tr uh, uh, intending to keep writing for mysterious universe and obviously the daily grail and 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 all of those guys and uh, those sites and also trying to to see what can i do with my own website uh, absurdbydesign.com you know i'm thinking about uh right now i'm i'm, I'm a bit of a not having a a, a, a whole lot to do so I'm thinking about trying to do maybe uh, one or two uh, T-shirt designs that I, maybe I could uh, uh, try, try to put on uh, uh, 
on sale through places like Zasso or, or some of that. You know, I, mean, I know that it's not going to get a lot of income, but it's definitely going to be easier for people to acquire them instead of me uh, printing them here in Mexico and trying to uh, ship them by mail. Excellent. But, and uh, you, you were getting around as far as like the, uh, the visual arts these days, like everybody in our podcast community and the books, everybody's getting you red pill. So really happy about that. Yeah. I'm happy as well. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, I'm his agent. Everything has to go through me. Uh, Greg, Greg Bishop, you know, the people should know it. he is my agent. <laughs> Greg, Greg's the man. Well, thank you so much guys. Uh, we're going to close out this section, but stay on the line for us. And guys, we will be right back. Me and Mr. Rob on Conspiracy Normal. That was the perfect mix of dude. Oh my god, that was so great! It really was. I was, I was, I was really impressed by that. Well, it's hard to get that many people together and have it be a, a nice, coherent, organized conversation. And those guys, yeah. they've they've all done so, spent so much time on other podcasts and talking to each other mm-hmm. and collaborating with each mm-hmm. other. And you know, they just they understand each other's dynamics so well that like that. I it was just a treat. Yeah, it really was. What, what did we were like two hours? Did we have like a two hour? Uh, about two fifteen so far. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we uh, it was about a two hour roundtable. Yeah, that's good. Shows have been really long lately. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of long. <laughs> Y'all are welcome. Yeah, exactly. Because there might be a time where we might take a hiatus or something at some point. Y'all yes. want to just listen to the really long shows or get forced into some horrible format. Yeah, that could happen too. That could happen too. I guess we'll probably just keep the F-bombs in. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, I think on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up, guys. Th- thank you so much for listening. Thank you to uh, Greg Bishop, Joshua Cutchin, Adam Gorightly, and Red, and the great Red Pill Junkie. Really, really love that guy. Um, he just amazes me every single time. And he's such a... He's such an awesome grasp of the English language too. For someone that is like the second language. Oh yeah, dude, he whips out words that I would never throw. In, I know, like, man. <laughs> perfectly. I like. know. I know. Like, and I could listen to Red Pill like read the phone book too. <laughs> you know. So, and we're gonna have all. We'll have all those guys back on at a certain point. I really want to get Go Rightly back on because yeah, it's been too long. It had been way too long. Like, I don't know if you'd ever. Well, except for that one hundredth episode that we did. I think it's the only time that yeah that we had him on, but, um, since like, I think episode 57 was the one before that. And that was right before you came along. I need, I need more psychedelic psychonaut type. Yeah. He's got a lot of great books, man. I mean, that guy, I mean, he's one of, he's one of the go-to guys that I went to. Like I heard him, man, like out there radio was this podcast that was around for these guys in Athens, Georgia. 
And that was like 2004, 2005, I think was the first time I heard him. And I listened to his podcast and, uh, he was one of the, one of the first people that I wanted to get on Conspiranormal. And so we had, we had him on, I think he became on like, like four, four times, I think. Wow. And then the 100th episode. So, but, uh, that's it guys. Once again, I'm, I am at this moment as you're listening to this on a trip. So, uh, when I come back, I'm hopefully going to have some interviews to actually post up. That will be hopefully it's whole other show. And, uh, thank you so much guys for listening to Conspiracy Hell Eris. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.